Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. This is the day, usually it's the first Sunday of every November that uh, we take a pause and they want the churches, and, and, and we're gladly do that, pray for the persecuted church around the world. And, and you know, th- you think about uh, how blessed we are to live in America, where we came to church today, no one persecuted us, no one tried to stop us or do anything to us. We came on our own free will. But a lot of Christians don't have that. And um, they're, they're, they're in basements in China, they're under trees in Africa, they're in basements in Iran and different places around the world that they have to be covert and when they meet. Uh, and it's very, you have to be very secretive because they can be persecuted not only by other religions, but by the governments of the world as well. And so we want to remember them, little guys like, say, John and, and others. Um, and here's the interesting thing, just give you some facts about Christian persecution. Christian persecution is at an all-time high. It's, it's, the stats are off the chart, and it's increasing. Uh, at the same time, that anti-Semitism is increasing as well. And here's the stats. 80% of the persecution that's going on on Christians in the world comes from Islam. And guess who the main persecutor of the Jews are? Islam, Muslims. So when you see when Islam was created by Satan and what it sets out to do to destroy the Saturday people first and then the Sunday people, I think you have a pretty good clue about where we're at today and who's being targeted, not only by Islam, but the governments of the world. The global elites hate Christians, true Christians, not the fake ones. They hate Christians because Christians stand in the way of what they're trying to achieve, and also Israel stands in their way. So the global elites have a, have a, a reason to come against uh, Christians and eliminate the Judeo-Christian ethics, uh, which includes the Jews and the Christians. So it's a big deal. And uh, I, I, I think in America, we need to prepare ourselves for what's coming uh, our way. America's never faced the kind of persecution that might be coming our way. But if things continue to roll and the, the rapture doesn't happen anytime soon, we're going to see some stuff. And uh, we're definitely going to see some stuff with the Jews, and I'll talk about that uh, during the sermon. So before we get into the sermon, let's lift up the persecuted church today, and then I want to include Israel in on that as well, okay? So let's pray for both groups. Father, we lift up our Christian brothers and sisters to you, Father, the persecuted church, the Smyrna element of, of the church. And Father, they're suffering, and as you say, as one, one bought part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And so we ask that you protect and deliver our persecuted brothers and sisters. We pray that they would have the freedom to be able to worship you and study the Bible and read and grow. Father, give them all the provision that they need to be able to walk in faith with you. Continue to protect them. Continue to provide for them. And Father, let them know that you're with them and that you would never leave or forsake them. And that you will deliver them ultimately through all of this. Father, give them the grace and mercy to deal with the suffering they have to deal with. And Father, may they be rewarded handsomely. We know that many of the people of the, uh, the, uh, the persecuted church will receive the crown of life for the suffering they endured 
and the persecution they endured and sometimes being martyred for what they believe in. Father, give them strength, give them hope, give them courage in the midst of that. And Father, we also pray for your other people group, the Jews. Father, they have not come to faith in, 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 in the Messiah as a nation. Many Jews have, though. But we pray for their ultimate salvation, that through all of the things that are happening to them, they would come to faith in the Messiah before the rapture so they could be raptured out of here. We pray that, we, that, that the Jewish nation would take care of Hamas and any terrorist organization and wipe them out completely, whether it's Hezbollah, uh, you know, any terrorist organization, Iran, whatever that, Father, you would preserve them, and we know you will. And so, Father, we ask for the IDF's protection as they go in and they, they extract Hamas and take them out. Help them, Father. Preserve them. Protect them. And may they seek your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we lift both groups up to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And keep that on your prayer list, okay, for both persecuted Christians and the Jews because both are, are getting uh, targeted now. So that brings us to where we're at in the scriptures, and we're in Genesis chapter 25, we're going through the patriarchs, obviously, and now we're coming into the children that are born to Isaac and Rebekah. And again, uh, I've, I've actually given two titles to this because we're going to be dealing with both aspects. On a personal application level, we're going to be looking at breaking free from family dysfunction, uh, because you're going to see a lot of dysfunction in the patriarch's family. Uh, and, and, and I appreciate that because we all have dysfunction. Uh, and how many of you are free of dysfunction in your family? I mean, forget it. It's everybody in the room. You can think about Uncle Joe or whoever, Aunt Sally or whatever, and you're like, wow, I can't believe I'm related to this. And, and, and sometimes you think I'm adopted, and, and I get it because the, the family dysfunction is so bad, but we all have it. And, and I appreciate the scriptures when it does show it. Um, think, all right, man, these guys, are, you know, they're not walking on clouds. They're just like you and me. Um, so we're going to deal with that aspect. But the other thing is this family dysfunction causes worldwide problems. And you're going to see that with the birth of the two twins, Jacob and Esau. And boy, howdy. So let me give you a little clue about Esau and his descendants. Esau's descendants are a perpetual enemy of Israel. And uh, what happened throughout the course of biblical history is the descendants of Esau intermarried with the descendants of Ishmael, which is another enemy of Israel, right? Who is Isaac's enemy. Ishmael was persecuting Isaac, remember that. And then I showed you also Keturah's uh, descendants, the second wife of Abraham, and the mess that caused and created more descendants that hate the Jews. Well, this is their closest descendant, Esau. He's a brother. So he will intermarry with the Ishmaelites and the descendants of Keturah and give us today the Arab people. So the Arab people have a mixture of this heritage in them from Ishmael, from Keturah, and from Esau that's embedded in their coding, so to speak, their DNA. And hence, this is why you see the problem today, not only in the Middle East, but around the world and their hatred for Jews. And, and it goes back to the siblings. And it goes back to Ishmael. And it goes back to Keturah. So the, 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 the patriarchs, especially Abraham, Abraham's the man of faith, but he made some big mistakes, no doubt about it. So we're going to watch this and see how this drama plays out. And then again, 
I, 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 I look at this every week and I'm thinking I couldn't providentially be in a better book than right now because it's explaining what's happening on the ground. So let's follow this. Watch this. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Isaac begot, Abraham begot Isaac, okay? So we looked at that and how that happened. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as, as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And we looked at that and how Abraham sent Eleazar to go find a bride for Isaac and ended up finding Rebekah, and we, we studied all of that, okay? So it was a miracle. And again, one of the things you have to understand is Isaac's a miracle baby, because Sarah was barren. She couldn't have a baby, so he became, he became the miracle baby. Now watch this. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren as well. Here's a common thing that we're starting to see. Uh, this theme in the patriarchal wives is that they're barren and that God actually has to do a miraculous miracle to create a child and so they can have a baby and carry on the Abrahamic covenant. Hmm. Don't miss that. There's a message in that. As God is showing that he creates the life in the, the womb and, and be, is able to create these miracle children, Isaac being one, and then obviously now you're going to see Rebekah having twins, which is a miracle by God. There's a pattern that through the Abrahamic covenant, these women are having miraculous conceptions. Did you catch that? Go all the way through. Ultimately, coming from the Abrahamic covenant, who comes out of that? The Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And how does he get born? With a miraculous conception, right? We call it the virgin birth. There's a theme there. Ah, but one more theme, let me add to this. The other theme is, as you're seeing this miraculous conception, miraculous birth, by these patriarchal women, it is picturing what Messiah will be able to do with anyone who wants to enter into the Abrahamic covenant. How do we get into the Abrahamic covenant? By faith. And you come to faith in the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, and you are engrafted in as a Gentile into the community of faith, okay? But when you come to faith, something happens to you where you're regenerated. And what, do we, what, did, what did Jesus call that with Nicodemus? Being born again. A miraculous birth because your spirit is dead, not your soul, but your spirit is dead, and you must be born again. There must be a miraculous birth inside of you just like the miraculous births with the women of the patriarchs. You catch that? So there's two levels of, of, of what you're looking for with this miraculous birth thing. It's beautiful, beautiful picture of it, right? So anyway, she, she's barren. And, 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 and let's just stop right here and realize what Isaac is going to do. He says he pleaded with the Lord for his wife. Now, here, we know the timetable. He's 40 he will plead for the next 20 years for her to have a baby. So when he's 60, they have, they have uh, the twins. Now, again, remember, the patriarchal ages are longer than our. our so being 40 is, is you know, 
well, I don't know, let's say being 40 is like being 20, so to speak, and their, their, their longevity of lives, okay? So they're still young in that sense, not like us. Um, for goodness sakes, man, I mean, we're, we're, you hit 50, it's downhill from there. I'm just I'm telling you right now, it's been downhill ever since I hit 50. Wow. I know people are saying, well, what's wrong with you? But it, it, I feel it, I feel it. But they're having babies at, 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 you know, at 60. I, I don't think I can handle having a baby even at 50 right now. That would kill me. Um, anyway, what, what is this? He actually breaks some dysfunction. What do you mean? Well, let's go back to his daddy. What did Abraham do when they were waiting 25 years for Isaac to be born, getting impatient? Hey, maybe what God meant is I would take the concubine, Hagar, and have a baby through her, which was culturally legal, and then maybe that's what God meant. And then he does it and produces Ishmael, and then later on says, no, no, he's not the child of promise, it's Isaac, and then Ishmael, 20 years old, is persecuting the toddler Isaac, and Sarah says, you gotta get him out of here, and a big mess starts happening, dysfunction, dysfunction, and then we have the birth of the Ishmaelites that continue to persecute the Jews. Now, do you think Isaac, the one who got actually persecuted, learned a lesson? Yeah, I'm not gonna do what dad did, because it caused a lot of problems for the family. And it caused a lot of problems for me because he was persecuting me. And so one of the things you've seen, and you've got to applaud Isaac for this, is he stops the cycle and is not repeating his dad's things. Now, he'll, later on, he will, he, will, he will actually mimic his dad's ways and he'll lie about his wife. And so that's what Abraham did twice, and then Isaac will do it too. So with the patriarchs, they're, they're, he's breaking some of the cycle, and then he's continuing the cycle. So that's how things are. So here's what you have to understand before we move on, on a personal level. You come from a family of origin, we all do. And to, to whatever degree that family of origin has a degree of dysfunctionality. It's just, there's no family that's perfect. Parents are trying to do the best they can, but unfortunately, um, that doesn't get people off the hook for accepting family values that get pushed down, down the road, or family standards. And unfortunately, what we're supposed to do is look at those family standards and say, wait a second, what is the family standard versus what's God's standard? And then I compare the two and I say, hmm, my family practiced this, but God says this. Your job is to break that cycle and not repeat what your family is doing if it's bad, if it goes against God's order, right? Now, if they're doing a the great thing, then yeah, of course, yeah, this is a family tradition and it's wonderful, great. But people will come to me and, and, and we'll work through these things with them on a personal level. And I'll just give you some examples. So like People have come to me, a lot of men come to me and say, hey, in my, in my family, workaholism was, a, was prided. It was, it was something to be celebrated. And obviously that conflicts with the Bible because the Bible says work hard but not become a workaholic. But I've had men tell me, look, hey, if we were not working 100 hours a week, seven days a week, um, our families rejected us for that. Then I've had other people tell me, women and men, say, you know, Brandon, in my family, they only 
they only accept me if I work in the right careers that they approve of, like a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant. And, and then if I don't have those really prestigious careers, then my family rejects me. So everybody in my family is a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant. And you're like, wow, that goes against the biblical norm and, and what you're supposed to do, what God calls you to do. And if that's a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, oh, so be it. But, but at the end of the day, they, they end up taking jobs because they want to please mom and dad or whatever the issue is. It's a big deal. And, 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 and the key is you have to break that cycle and say, you know what? No, no, what my family is doing is wrong. That needs to stop and I have to break the cycle because this is what God wants. And you have to get over to God's standards. Now, what you have to do is you have to compare. You have to identify it. Identify what the family standards are, the Ten Commandments of the family, and then, the, then find out what God's standards are. And then when you identify them, you say, okay, I'm not going to do that. Okay, then what do you got to do? You have to radically amputate it. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jesus said this. When your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off. Or cut it out. When your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. And he was referring to radical amputation. And once, what you start realizing is the reason people keep family standards, even though they know it's wrong, is because they get a reward out of it by keeping the family standards. And what is the big reward that people get by keeping family standards that are non-biblical? Acceptance in the family. Okay? No one wants to be the black sheep of their family. They don't have enough guts to break free from that. And you have to have enough guts in your life to say, you know what? I don't care if my family accepts me or not. What I care about is pleasing Jesus. And if that conflicts with my family, then my family can reject me, so be it. Because Jesus said, you've got to love me and hate your father and mother. What did he mean by that? It's a Jewish idiom. It means you must live according to my standards and prefer me, number one, above your family standards, above your mom and dad. And a lot of people just simply can't do that because they, they like the reward of getting acceptance from mom and dad or their family. And they will never break free of it. I hope that's not you. So you have to break free and cut yourself off of the reward for that. Okay? Now let's move on. And the Lord granted his plea after 20 years, by the way, and Rebecca, his wife, conceived, but there's a problem in the conception. But the children struggled. And the, the, the Hebrew word is ratzatz. And it, it, it's more than just they struggled inside of her womb. No, no. Uh, the Hebrew word means to violently crush or collide with each other, punching each other. They're actually literally fighting in her belly, so to speak, which is a bad omen a bad omen about what's happening with these two people groups, okay? Together within her, and she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Again, perfect what she needs to do. She goes to the Lord. So here's what the Lord says. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So what God is saying is, yes, there's a bad omen going on in your stomach. And, the, and it's foreshadowing what will happen. Two nations will come from those two boys in your womb. Now, it says one people shall be stronger than the other. 
and the older shall serve the younger. Now, the stronger is Israel, okay? It's Jacob. And there's a reason why God empowers Israel, because they need it to defend themselves from the attacker, okay? Which will be hostile Esau or hostile Ishmael. So, so God makes Israel stronger even though it's less in number or it's, it's, it, it appears on the surface as being weaker. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, how this passage actually comes into fruition. Today, it is a 1 to 20 ratio right now when Israel is in the Gaza taking out Hamas. I, I listened to Caroline Glick on Friday um, there was about 15 Israeli soldiers that died going into the, the, the Gaza taking Hamas out. So 15 Israeli soldiers died, but to every one Israeli, there was 20 Hamas uh, terrorists that died. Okay, you see the ratio? When it says one people will be stronger than the other, that's what it's referring to, the supernatural empowerment of Israel when it has to fight the descendants that are against her. Again, all I have to do is go into history, go to 1948, Israel's outmanned, outgunned, they win. 1967, outmanned, outgunned, they win. Yom Kippur, and even to today. God has to supernaturally empower this carrier of the covenant because everyone wants to kill her. And so they have a supernatural empowerment that's why you're getting the ratio today, 1 to 20. And then the older shall serve the younger. That actually came true in King David's life when he subjected the Edomites to Israel at that point in time. Again, there's more prophecies about the descendants of Esau, and I'll look at them today, but this is actually happening right in front of your face. You can't get more relevant than what you're seeing here with the two boys going at it, okay? Listen to the descendants of Jacob about Hamas and the descendants of Esau. I want to make clear Israel's position regarding a ceasefire. Just as the United States would not agree to a ceasefire after the bombing of Pearl Harbor or after the terrorist attack of 9-11, Israel will not agree to a cessation of hostilities with Hamas after the horrific attacks of October 7th. Calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas, to surrender to terrorism, to surrender to barbarism. That will not happen. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says that there is a time for peace and a time for war. This is a time for war. Amen. He's right. Amen. Good for him. This nonsense that there needs to be a ceasefire. Excuse me. A ceasefire. Why? So we can let Hamas go? So we can let Hamas group, regroup and, and attack Israel again? What, are we crazy? Yes, they are insane. Israel needs to go in there and take care of business and obliterate Hamas. Now, we, we know that's what their plan is, and they hope that they do it. We know it sets off a lot of things in the Middle East, but this is the right thing to do. There can't be a ceasefire with with maniacs that want to commit Jewish, uh, Jewish genocide. Come on. And then you've got this nut job. Rashida Tlaib claims the phrase, from the river to the sea is about freedom, human rights, and peaceful coexistence. I'm sorry. You can pour water down my back and tell me it's raining, but I don't believe it. 
What are you gaslighting me? I already know what that phrase means. It's a Muslim phrase to, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean to exterminate every Jew on the land. Don't tell me it's something. Are you gaslighting me? But our people are so ignorant. Oh, yeah, it's about wokeism, peace and love. This woman needs to be ejected from Congress. How is she serving? Unbelievable that we have someone in our Congress. How dare she? Wow. Look what's happening. I caught this last night, if you didn't see this. This is in Washington, D.C. Thousands, we're talking tens of thousands pro-Palestinian marchers descend upon Washington, chanting, Alu Akbar? Wait a second. Is this Iran? Is this Saudi Arabia? This is America. What are you talking about? Blank Joe Biden as they demand a ceasefire. Excuse me. How did we get this many people in our country? Open borders, I guess, not vetting Muslims coming to our country who want to practice Sharia law and exterminate Jews. America is becoming unsafe for Jewish people. Look at this. They were banging down, this is last night in Washington, banging down the White House gate, putting their, their, their hands in red paint, and look what they did to the sides. Look, nothing justifies genocide. Uh, who's doing the genocide? Excuse me. Oh, Brandon, you're, you're, this is hyperbole that you're saying. These are only a couple dozen. No, take a look. Take a look. Does that look like, oh, this is just uh, two kids uh, uh, putting together a sign? Excuse me. That's tens upon tens of thousands of people that are pro-terrorists. We got a problem in America, don't we? Hmm. Now, this guy, I applaud this guy, but look what they did to him. Adam Gillette. So these so-called smarty pants at the Ivy Leagues go and they, they, they sign their names on pro-Hamas Document saying we support Hamas and, and the killing of Jews and yada, yada, yada at these, at these elite schools, okay? Uh, don't have your send your kid to these elite schools. These elite schools, Stanford, UCLA, Harvard, Columbia, Princeton, they are nothing but the, the devil's Sunday school. That's what they are. Satan's youth group is our colleges and universities, Okay? So this guy exposes these anti-Semites, and he basically drives this little truck with an advertisement, a digital advertisement, showing the pictures of these people who sign their name supporting Hamas that go to these elite schools, okay? So he goes around, and this is him at Columbia University. Uh, what a wretched place Columbia is. And yet Columbia has a high population of, of, of Jewish people. And, and so... You, all of a sudden in Columbia, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the, the center of the campus, you had all these pro-Hamas students. Where did these pro-Hamas students? They came on visas, that's where. And every one of them needs to be deported back to where they came from. <laughs> Unbelievable. So this guy's advertising, here's Columbia's leading anti-Semites. Okay, so it's a free speech thing, good for him. He, they, these people need to be exposed. But you know what happened? He gets raided by the FBI. Oh, wait, wait a second. What, I thought this is free speech. He's driving a truck and advertising. What do you mean he got raided by the FBI? Whose side is the FBI on? What are you talking about? That's concerning to me. 
It should be concerning to every American because that's apparently an issue of free speech there, and apparently the FBI doesn't understand our Constitution. Apparently. This is Europe. What does this remind you of? Look. They're painting the stars of David on the houses in Europe. This is 1939. They're identifying Jews. People will say, well, that can never happen again. It's happening. It's happening. I don't know what to say. I'm showing you right now. This is not a secret anymore. Israel warns citizens, avoid openly displaying Israeli and Jewish symbols abroad. So what, what are we saying? The, 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 the Israel is saying, hide your Jewishness because you could be attacked. What? What? Here's the interesting thing. You know Rock Harbor supports the Jewish people. We're flying the flags out there, and we have on our screen out there on the front, we support the Jewish people. We support Israel. You know we got phone calls because of that? People complaining. Hey, what are you doing? Yada, yada, yada. The whole nonsense, wokeism, leftism. We had one Palestinian call us, and yada, yada, yada. And our receptionist obviously just said, read your Bible. Uh, anyway. Uh, anyway. Uh, we're dealing with it, but, you, you, but here's the, here, here we are in Bakersfield getting a flashback. Now, Bill, can I use your story this a little bit? I'll take the explicitives out of it. Uh, but poor Bill, you see Bill, he's flying the Israeli flag in the back of his truck. Pulls up into a gas station with the Israeli flag, and some, it was a woman, right? Or, or inhumane woman, just started cussing the air blue and attacked Bill. Blank this, blank this, blank this. And then she said, what, I hate God or something too at the same time? Yeah, Bill says, I, told, I love you, and she says, I hate you, and I hate God. Well, of course, that makes sense, uh, that, that if you hate God, you're going to hate Israel. But my point is, it's his right in America to fly whatever flag he wants. But yet, he gets cussed out at the gas station. We get calls. And I guarantee you, you put a sign in front of your house you, that we say we stand with Israel, you're going to get a pushback on that. You start wearing the stars of David. You start wearing pins around town. Watch what happens to you. Because we're in a different time period now where people's anti-Semitism is all coming out. If you have the courage, like Bill, driving around with an Israeli flag and putting that flag out, good for you. But understand, you're going to get a pushback. We had a lady, the second service, storm out of here. What kind of church is this, she said. Well, lady, it's the kind of church that speaks the truth. Get out of here. I don't need you here. What kind of church is it? Go to the softball church over there talking about nothing, talking about navel gazing, and, and go, go live in Laodicea. We don't want you at a Philadelphia church. I guarantee you that. Anyway, I do digress. Verse 24. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. Now watch this. This is very important to get. And the first one came out red. So he's like a red-headed stepchild, so to speak, you know, so to speak. But the word is admoni. It means ruddy. He has a ruddy complexion. But here's the thing. What is Moses trying to do? Moses is trying to uh, connect dots for us. He comes out red, and he's going to be related to something else that's red. Because when you see the next few weeks, I will show you that when he 
wants to give up his birthright of carrying the Abrahamic covenant, he does an exchange with Jacob, and Jacob is making some stew, but the stew is red, red stew. And so he exchanges the ability to carry the birthright, the Abrahamic covenant, gives it to Jacob for red, red. It's just red stew, basically. Now, here's the interesting thing. Let's keep following the red pattern. Now, this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. Okay, so the descendants of Esau are the Edomites. Okay, and so Esau dwelt at Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. Again, so Moses is trying to tell you, this is the guy, this is the guy, and where does he dwell? Here's a biblical map of where the kingdom of Edom was, where the descendants went. And you can see down in the lower yellow, and then you see on the satellite, you can see where Mount Seir and that mountain range is there, and then you have the Rift Valley there. That is where Petra is also as well. Now, question. This is where what the Edomites settled here in Petra. The Nabataeans built Petra, but the, the Edomites settled in this area. What color is the rock? Thank you. You see the pattern? He lives in the red area. So his people, the Edom, is a, is, its root means the reds. They are the reds, the red people. Because they're descendants of Esau. And there's the, I mean, look at the rock. It's red. That's the color. Okay. So, again, what does the red point to? The red points to him selling his birthright over red stew. That that was the, 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 the line that he crossed. Him saying, I don't want anything to do with the God of Israel, the God of my fathers. I, I'm divorcing myself from it, and, and I don't care about it. You want it, take it, just give me the stew. That was the issue, and it created the, it showed you his animosity already towards God, okay? Now, one more thing. He was like a hairy garment all over when he was born. So they called his name Esau, which is derivative of the, 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 the hairy um, uh, se'ar in, in Hebrew. And it means hairy, but it, it's just... More than that, it's hairy like an animal hairy. So he's born in this reddish color, which points to the stew, but he's full of hair like an animal. Ah, so what does that mean? Well, what you have to see is how his, what's this saying about his descendants? That his descendants will behave like animals. That's the idea. He behaves like an animal. He's like a caveman. He's pre-civilization, so to speak. Now, let me ask you this. What Hamas did, is that human or animal-like? You got it. You, you, see, you see what the scripture is trying to say? We saw some of the most barbaric things and atrocities on the level of the Holocaust. I mean, seriously. Some of the stuff I can't even stomach. I, I looked at it, burned by, by, by babies, burned bodies, they, they took one baby from its mother, put it in a hot oven and baked it, Why? and then killed the mom. That's inhuman. That's right, because Esau is animal-like. He's animal-like. And what does what Ezekiel talk about Esau? God's not done with Esau. He's gonna pound him into the ground. 
Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir. Mount Seir, remember, that's where Esau's settlement was, and prophesy against it. Say unto it, thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I am against you, O Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you, and I will make you a desolation and astonishment. This has never happened. It will in the future. I will lay your cities to waste, and you shall be desolate, and you shall know that I am Yahweh, because you have had a perpetual enmity or a perpetual hatred and had given over the children of Israel to the power of the sword in the time of their calamity, in the time of the iniquity of the end. Now talk about family dysfunction. Remember I talked about generations passing on family traits? The number one trait that has been passed on by the descendants of Esau is a perpetual hatred towards the Jews. Here we are, and it's still with us today. It, the cycle won't stop. How can Israel uh, have a friendly conversation with people that have a perpetual hatred and want to kill you? You can't. So this is the poster child for the Palestinians. And uh, I can't remember her name, Mimi or something, Tamimi. Tamimi is her name. And, and, and she's a descendant of Esau, obviously. This is what she said to the Jewish settlers. We are waiting for you in all the cities of the West Bank, from Hebron to Janine. We will slaughter you, and you will say that what Hitler did to you was a joke. We will drink your blood and eat your skull. Come on, we're waiting for you. What a little monster. Who, what, what kind of group raises that monster? Well, it doesn't come out of a vacuum. It comes out of Esau, a perpetual hatred towards the Jews. What a monster. And yet this girl, this girl was celebrated. I think she was on Vogue magazine and all kinds of other magazines. Oh, she's so great. She's so great. What is she? She wants to commit cannibalism against the Jews. Excuse me? He's like an animal. He's like an animal. Now, you want to see the descendants of Jacob defend themselves against Esau? There's no comparison. Watch. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I listened to your whole history for like five minutes here. So at least let me respond to it. Your entire claim is that the Arabs did not reject peace, and then in your own disquisition, you admitted that the Arabs rejected the Peel Commission plan, which was a separation between the Jews and the Arabs, which gave an extraordinary amount of land to the Arabs. The Arabs then rejected the peace partition plan proposed by the United Nations in 1947. They then proceeded to reject the Oslo Accords in 93. After that, they rejected the Wye River Accords in 98. They rejected Ehud Barak's very generous offer in 2000. They rejected Omer's very generous offer in 2008. Every single peace deal that has been proposed by Israel or anyone else has been rejected by the Arabs for a very simple reason, which was the very first question I asked you. You do not accept that there should be a Jewish state anywhere in this region. So as long as that's the case, there's literally nothing to argue about. You cannot simultaneously maintain the position. There should not be a Jewish state anywhere in the region. And then tell me that I'm wrong when I say that the Arabs will not accept a two-state solution. You yourself say that there should not be a two-state solution. If based on the numbers, more Germans died than Brits in World War II, did that mean that British, the British were wrong in World War II? Because they did. Many more Germans died than Brits. Based on the numbers, does that mean that Britain was wrong in World War II? Britain wasn't bombing civilian, civilians. Which part of Israel is occupied of Palestine? 
all of Israel. There we go. There we go. There we go. So what you're calling for is the obliteration of the state of Israel, and all of this is just a cover for that. I appreciate your time. Amen. I think tonight we've seen some evidence of people obscuring some clear moral differentiation between the targeted burning of babies in their homes in front of their mothers by shoving them in an oven and people attempting to kill terrorists who are themselves putting civilians in harm's way in violation of the rules of war and the Geneva Conventions. And if you're one of the people who's making this sort of moral equivalence, I ask for you to check your own heart. And if you're one of the people who's watching people make this moral equivalence and being convinced by the supposed complexity of the issue, I ask for you to check your brain. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Where did he say that? Oxford. That's, so that's supposed to be the, breath, the best and brightest, and the Oxford students don't have any common sense. They're, they're educated fools. This is the kind of generation that we have that's just promoting this. Again, it's, it's Satan's youth group. That's what it is. So look what happens when you have open borders. People think, well, this is not going to come to America. Oh, Really? Really? We've just let terror cells come in. We don't say anything, Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas, everything. So this guy coming to America, seeking asylum, of course we let him in. We don't check him. And so Abu Yash uh, came, and he's, he got arrested because he's in the Houston area and was plotting an attack on Jewish gatherings. Thank you very much. He's one that we caught. There's probably a lot more because of our open borders uh, but what was he doing? Oh, he's training. He's just shooting a gun for self-protection. No, he's not. He was using that to because his goal was to shoot up Jews. And thank God we caught him. But look, he ain't the only one. There's more after him. And this is in America. We're not going to see the end of this. Now, again, back to Satan's playground, the colleges and, and, and universities, Satan's youth group. They want to support Hamas a terrorist organization, because it's part of the woke agenda now. The Palestinian cause has been put into the woke agenda. But yet, these people support causes that they know nothing about. Watch this. Doing a, a quick petition to help Hamas free Palestine. Uh, you're all in? <laughs> all right. Oh, yeah, you're in? Easy. I just have to read terms and conditions just so okay. you, know, you know what you're signing. Okay. By supporting Hamas freeing Palestine, you agree to the following? You agree that every Jew, Christian, and non-Muslim in the world must be slaughtered? I don't know about that one. You endorse making homosexuality punishable by jail or death? What? Oh, no, no, I don't. You don't agree with that? You believe Iran should use Palestinians as puppets to spread radical jihad and destroy the West? No? Nope. I'm glad I read the terms and agreements. You support strict Sharia law, which bans women from showing their knees, hair, playing sports in public, not being able to travel without a man's permission. I'm sorry. Not interested? Oh, okay. You want a terrorist group that beheads babies and rapes girls to replace only democracy in the Middle East? I'm not sure that's something to support. So if I sign, I agree with this? Yes. Maybe no. No? Okay. I don't support any of these two things that you just read to me, so okay. then I won't be able to sign this then. That's fair. Yeah, thanks for not signing. <laughs> yeah, all right. Wow. Does that tell you everything about what's going on in our college and university? They have no idea. They don't even know what they're supporting. Wow. Again, I'll show you Psalm 83 because this is on the horizon, guys. Psalm of Asa, do not keep silent, O God, do not hold your peace, and do not be still, O God, for behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. 
They hate God, so they hate Israel. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones, talking about Israel. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. Now, wait a second. I hear them say that from Iran and the rest of the terrorists, and the other way they say it is from the river to the sea. That's the other way they say this. Now, just because we're talking about Esau, let me show you where Esau's at. For they consulted together with one consent. They have formed a, a confederacy against you. The tents of Edom, descendants of Esau, and the Ishmaelites. Who are we talking about? Palestinian refugees and southern Jordanians. Thank you very much. It's right now in front of you. That's getting ready to happen. The other thing that's getting ready to happen is Gog of Magog. It's setting the whole thing up. And you think, well, who else is involved in this? Well, it's funny that Turkey and Russia and Iran all want to pounce on Israel now too. And they're saying if, 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 if Israel goes any further and if the United States get involved, then Russia and Iran and Turkey are going to get involved as well. Oh, that's great. Because 2,500 years ago, the prophet Ezekiel predicted this. And you guys are lining up. So look at about what's happening with Russia. People think, well, Russia's got its own problems with Ukraine. No, they don't. Their eyes are on Israel right now. Riot happens at the Russian uh, airport from a, a plane that was coming in from Tel Aviv, landing in a Russian airport, and these, these Russians were thinking Jews are on there, so they go to attack it. And they're going to look for all kinds of, uh, you know, if there's Jews there, to kill them, I guess. And, 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 and so they didn't find any, thank God. But... Russia then jumps in with China and says, oh, look, we're going to work on a two-state solution for Israel and the Palestinians. Excuse me, Russia? What? You're a criminal state. Uh, yeah, they're involved. And then the Chechen leader, which is very close to Vladimir Putin, says he's prepared to send his forces to support Palestine. We fully support Palestine's actions because Israel took their land and is now keeping them isolated. Excuse me, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But he is Putin, one of Putin's uh, uh, guys... And, the, and Russia's wanting to attack and, and help the Palestinians. You understand, this is setting up Gog of Magog. Now, here's a guy they think is Jewish in Russia. They think he's Jewish. And they're about ready to rip him to shreds. Watch this. So they take his passport, they take his phone. If they found that he was Jewish, what do you think they were going to do to him? They were going to kill him. Oh, gotcha. Turkey, again, Erdogan, Israel's an occupier. Hamas, not a terrorist organization. He's involved because that's part of the Gog and Magog alliance. There you go. They're involved. Erdogan just came out and said, bring it on last week. Huh. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Yaakob. Okay, or we call it Jacob in English. Now, let me explain something real quick. 
It means, Yaakob means hill catcher or supplanter, but it does not connotate anything negative. And unfortunately, your Gentile commentaries will read negatively into this because they're, they're thinking about what he does later on in his life. But there's nothing negative. It's a baby. There's nothing negative that's going on here. What, what really it is, is a positive, and what Moses is trying to say is this. He's, yes, he comes out holding the heel of Esau, but it's due to the fact that he will supplant Esau because Esau doesn't want anything to do with the covenant. He doesn't want anything to do with God. Jacob actually does. And he becomes a supplanter, not because he's trying to trick Esau. It's because Esau doesn't want it. So he becomes the natural second uh, 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 choice. Now, what, what's happening here, what God is showing you too, is that this is going against the culture. And this is going against the primogenitor rights. What do you mean? Because in the, in the ancient culture, the firstborn gets all the stuff, right? He's, the, the, he's going to carry on the name, and he gets all the inheritance. And God upends this and shows you your culture believes in primogeniture, but your primogeniture, Esau, is refusing to do his duty. Therefore, I have no problem going to the secondborn to be able to carry this. So Jacob, in his struggle is going against the cultural norm. He's going against it. And, and so he takes that responsibility that should be the firstborn, and he bears the weight of it. And then once he takes it on and bears the weight, Esau hates him. Well, Esau, you're the one who gave it up. But yet you hate him? Yes. Because everybody, when they look at the Jews and that they bear the Abrahamic covenant, and they gave us the Jewish Messiah, hate them because of spiritual jealousy. That's why. They took it on. They bore the weight. And if it was another nation that decided that God chose to bury the weight of the Abrahamic covenant, they would be persecuted too. So in essence... Yes, it, it, it's the Jews who took the covenant, but it, 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 I don't know, it could have been the Germans or whoever, whatever, whatever people group God chose to use, they would be the most persecuted because of that spiritual jealousy. And that's what's happening here. God is showing you that, 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 that he will take it. He will bear the responsibility. It's like Tevye said in Fiddler of the Roof. You guys seen Fiddler of the Roof? Okay, I hope you got, it's a, it's a, you got to watch Fiddler on the Roof. And, and Tevia goes, if we're the chosen people, how come you couldn't chose someone else? It's, it's too hard. We don't like bearing it. And Tevia's right. They bear an awful responsibility, don't they? But that's what, what the catching of the hill is meant that Israel will take the responsibility to produce the Messiah. So Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him. And the other thing is Jacob, or Yaakob, is a shortened name, and, and, and what the, the guys who really know Hebrew very well, and they look at the ancient Hebrew, they say that's a shortened name, and the, the, probably the full name of Jacob's name is Yaakob El. El means Elohim, and it means that God will protect him. 
uh, you know, it, it, yes, it means heal, but it means the heel of, a, of the back, back of an army, that God protects the backside of the army as it's moving forward. So he's in the back protecting their heels, so to speak. And, and, and that would make sense, that God would have to protect Jacob and have to protect the Jewish people as they bear this weight. It makes total sense. I get it. Now let's go to here. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter. And you're like, what's the big deal about that? Well, it's a negative connotation, very negative. And what Moses is doing is connecting this to a bad dude in the Old Testament called Nimrod. Nimrod was also a hunter, a mighty hunter, a gibberim. And Nimrod is the one who built the Tower of Babel and was like an Antichrist-esque. He hunted animals, no doubt about it, but he hunted men as well. He went after men and hunted them down. Does Hamas hunt people? Yes. So you see the negative connotation with being a hunter? It's not a good thing in Scripture to be called a hunter. It means that you're, you're in rebellion and that you're going after men, that you're the aggressor against men. And guess who's aggressing against? The people of Israel. So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter. Now, the, let, me, let me capitalize on the word skillful. The skillful word means yada. Yada means to know. So you'll hear in, 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 in Hebrew gibberish, uh, not gibberish, but um, Yiddish, thank you. Not gibberish, Yiddish. Thank you, David. Not gibberish, Yiddish. I don't know where that gibberish came from. In Hebrew, Yiddish, they'll do yada, yada, yada. You ever heard the phrase yada, yada, yada? That's uh, Yiddish. Did I say? I said Yiddish, yeah. I'm not saying gibberish, gibberish. They'll say yada, yada, yada. You know, and it means like, you know, you know, you know. In Hebrew. But, but yada in Hebrew means to know by experience. Okay? So, okay, Brandon, well, okay, already have a negative connotation that he, he's, a, he's a known hunter by experience, but it means more than that. The word yada by experience means it's a Hebrew idiom, which means he's a very cunning person. So he's sharp but he uses his intellect to manipulate people, to get an angle, to get an edge, to do this, to do that, to suit his own needs. That sounds very familiar. People you can't trust, they're very cunning because they'll, they'll shake hands at the Oslo Accord and say, peace in our day, and then go in Arabic and say, kill the Jews. Oh, that's what that means. And then it says he's a man of the field. Well, Brandon, he's just a guy that likes the outdoors. He's an adventurer. Probably drives a Jeep, and he just loves staying in tents and stuff like that. Oh, no. No, no, no. It doesn't mean that. A man of the field is a Hebrew idiom again. And what it means is that he forsook the loyalty to his family and his family covenant. A man of the field means he divorced himself from his own family. He walked away from his family and his responsibilities to his family. He just lives for himself as the kind of guy. That sounds like when you train children to be terrorists, to blow themselves up, that no one's thinking about their family, just blow the people up. Yeah, you got it. Look what Hebrews says about the guy. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. It calls him a profane person. 
Yeah, he's not looked at good in this text. But Jacob was a mild man. Now, wait a second. Time out. I hate that. A mild man? Where did he get that translation from? It's horrible. That's not what the Hebrew says. And unfortunately, I think these commentators are putting in their own thoughts. And the translators put their own thoughts because you would never translate the Hebrew word tam as mild. That's horrible. And I got to think, wonder, what are you guys trying to accomplish here by translating that? So thank God we know what the Hebrew is. It's tom. You know what tom means? Perfect, complete, sound, wholesome, morally innocent, have an integrity, ethically pure, without blemish. Now your English is not even saying that. Why don't they translate it? And Jacob was a righteous man. Huh. Why did they do that? Hmm, I'll leave that up to you, why the commentators and the translators mistranslated the Hebrew and refused to call Jacob righteous. Hmm. So he's a righteous man. Now, the word tam is used for Job. Job was a righteous man. We're not talking about being perfect. We're talking about their, their general characteristics of their life is, is righteousness. And Noah was a righteous man. Tom is used for him as well. So how come Noah and, uh, and Job are given the word, the right translation, righteousness, and then when you go to Jacob, mild? That's not a mistake. So he dwells in tents. And, this, and, and here's what the commentators say. It's just brutal. Well, he's kind of a mama's boy. He's a homebody. He doesn't want to leave the, whole, the house. And, 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 and Esau's this, this, this masculine man out there, you know, hunting rabbits and, and things of that nature and bringing home game and yada, yada, yada. And, and, no. No. No, so they give a picture of Jacob being this Casper Milktoast guy that hangs behind his mama's apron, and he's a meek and mild guy, and he's just kind of just a homebody, and he's introverted and all that, and you're like, what? Apparently, they don't know the Hebrew idioms, or if they do, they malign it, because the Hebrew idiom, what dwelling in tents means, is that he chose to be a shepherd in the family unit to support not only the family, but to support the Abrahamic covenant. He made a sacrifice by doing this. And he's going to support his family and support the Abrahamic covenant by being a shepherd. And you're thinking, well, shepherd, well, what, what kind of career is that? It's not a glamorous position to be a shepherd, but it is very important in leadership. All the great leaders of the Bible, guess what their occupation was? Shepherds. Moses learned to be a shepherd for, what, 40, 40 years in the desert, shepherding Jethro's flocks. The mighty King David, what was he doing when he was a boy and teenager? Shepherding. And if you recall, shepherding, he said, in order to face Goliath, he fought bears Right? Because bears would come in the, the region and attack the lambs. And then, you, and then you had lions that attacked David. And he said, I fought bears and I fought lions. And so who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I can take him on because I fought the animals. A shepherd was a dangerous occupation during that period of time because of all the wild animals. It also meant that not only is the shepherd taking a dangerous position and a risk and a sacrifice, but it meant that he's also a protector in his mentality. 
Jacob is a, a, a protector. Now, wait a second. When you put all that together, Psalm 23 says this. What? The Lord is my? Thank you. So the image of God is a shepherd. What is Jesus? The good shepherd. Because the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so when it says that he dwelt in tents, Jacob is the kind of righteous man that will lay down his life for the Abrahamic covenant because he knows the Abrahamic covenant will bless people because that's where the anointed one comes from. And so he chooses to be a part of this. Now, let's take a step back. When it says in Scripture, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated, now I think you understand why. It's not that God's loving and hating. God is using an idiom. Uh, love, love and hate means priority. Jacob, the second born, I prioritized to carry the Abrahamic covenant. And Esau, I deprioritized. And you now know the question why. Why did God do it that way? Because Jacob wanted to carry it, and Esau didn't. There it is. That's why God did that. So, what ends up happening is where we'll stop, but the application. You're seeing the kind of man Jacob is and Esau. You're seeing it and contrasting right in front of your very eyes with Israel and the Arab people. And the Hamas and Hezbollah, it's right in front of your face. Look at the difference. The wandering man of the world avoids responsibility. Only cares about himself. Lives for today. Jihad, 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 right? Lives for the day. No responsibility. Doesn't care about the future. So when we give thousands, sorry, millions of dollars to the Palestinians, what do they do? Do they build their culture up? Do they build their society up? Do they care about the next generation? No. They spend it all on weapons to kill Jews. That's Esau, a wandering man with no responsibility. That explains every terrorist out there. And what's the result? A chaotic life. Hey, let me ask you this. You think it would be cool to live in the Gaza Strip or in the West Bank with that kind of individual? No, it's chaotic. It's crazy. It's insane. It's lawlessness. It's like the Wild West. It's pre-civilization. Because that's why, that's what comes from Esau. And the aggressor and things of that nature. Now, move to the other side, Jacob. Shepherd protector, cares for the welfare of others, lives for the next life. A ordered and settled life, it's what results from it. Receives temporal blessing and eternal rewards. Now here, let me give you a contrast. You can go into Jerusalem when things are calm, okay? Not right now. But when things are calm, like if you're going on an Israel trip, you can go at 2 in the morning in Jerusalem and you're in the safest place possible. You know why? Because the IDF's all around. It's relative peace because there's no Jew-on-Jew Jew crime. Jews don't murder each other. They don't rape each other. The crime is coming from the Palestinians and the terrorists. So it's a safe place. It's safer to be in Jerusalem at 2 in the morning and at night than it is downtown L.A. or downtown Dallas or downtown Houston or downtown Atlanta or New York or Chicago or Detroit. You'll get killed in those cities, guaranteed. But why is Israel more ordered, more shalom, more peace? You know why? Because Israel is the shepherd nation. 
the nation has taken on the role of being the protector of the Abrahamic covenant and the, guard, the guardian of that. That's what Paul says in Romans. And therefore, they have taken the thing, the, the shepherding on as Jacob took it on. Now, personal application. Where would you rather live? In the chaos of Esau or in the shepherding protection of Israel? Oh, now you know why the American Jews are wanting to go back now. It's safer there than in America. But here's your application. It's going to get real bad here in America. And you are going to have to take this shepherding role on seriously, man. You're going to have to be responsible. And here's who you're going to have to protect the Jews. Because it's coming. And I hope you take this on, right? We are already working with Olivier Melnick of how to help Jews in this situation, how to house them maybe in their transitioning, going back to Israel, because they're getting out of here. They're leaving. If it's going to get this bad and nothing's going to happen to any anti-Semite. So we're going to need you to step up to house people, to, to, to reach to your Jewish neighbor and say, hey, look, I got your back, man. If anything happens, you call me. I'll be there. I need to protect you because you're going to have to take that shepherding role on. And the shepherding role on means you sacrifice yourself for them. You sacrifice yourself for others to protect them as a shepherd would his flock. That's our call. And that's the call of Jacob, but it's, it's what, what God's saying to, for us to do now. You will pay a price, so please understand, just like Israel pays a price. But I guarantee you, it will be worth it in the end. You want to be on the right side of history on this one. You want to be on the right side of God. And right now, it's dividing. I hope you choose right. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from the two boys wrestling in the stomach of Rebecca. We're right in the middle of it, Father. We see it, right, play it out right in front, of it, in front of us, and just as you predicted, it is happening. Wow, amazing. Father, we ask that we would take that shepherding role of being responsible protector, that, Father, we would do what we need to do, not only to protect our family, protect our community, protect our church, but protect your Jewish people as well. Help us to have the strength to do it. Help us to have the courage to do it and pay whatever price it needs to happen, Father. And Father, if there's anyone here that hasn't committed themselves to the Lord, they haven't come to faith in him, it would understand that the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, offers eternal life to anyone who believes. That if, that, that if you would believe, he would give you eternal life. And the, he demonstrated his love for you, that he died on a cross for your sins, was buried and rose on the third day, and can give you that everlasting life. If you just believe. Speak to hearts now, Father, as we go. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.